Lots of very terrible things happened in 2020. You had COVID, you had this election, riots, George Floyd, etc. Something else that needs to be discussed, however, is crime. Crime seems to be soaring in every North American city, especially on the Pacific, especially in the Pacific Northwest. It's true for Seattle, it's true for Vancouver, where I am. And one of the great sources for all of this is a great documentary from Como called Seattle is Dying. And there's also a new documentary that's followed that up. These documentaries really inspired me to make a video and to make a podcast on this subject because it isn't talked about enough. And our guest today was actually featured in the first documentary, Seattle is Dying. His name is Ari Hoffman. He's one of our writers. So once again, I'm very biased. He's an associate editor and our Seattle correspondent for the Postmillennial. He also has his own podcast, which will be coming to the Postmillennial very soon. He is someone who is a community leader and he's an expert, as far as I'm concerned, in the subject of soaring crime. He's not someone who was supposed to be political, but he was sort of thrust into it because of what's going on in Seattle, which, as you know, with the Chaz and the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone sort of you know, shocked the world uh, in 2020. So with that said, welcome to the show. My name is Angelo Sidoro, and this is Cancel This. All right, Ari, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, uh, you're someone I consider an expert when it comes to the topic we're talking about today. And I actually, on a personal note, before you became a colleague at TPM, did discover you through the now famous Como documentary, Seattle is Dying. And I must say, as a Vancouverite, although we are across the border, uh, we have a lot in common with Seattle. So I feel a sense of camaraderie with you, just in terms of the issues that you're dealing with. So with that said, you know, the theme that I want to talk about is why... Why are North American cities becoming more violent? Why is crime seemingly surging? Uh, although some people will argue it's not. Why, why has the issue of crime become politicized? And I know that's obviously a very heavy topic that you know, takes a lot to, to disseminate. But first, I kind of wanted to get you know, people to, to know a little bit more about you and your background. So I was wondering if you can give a quick rundown on what made you as just a citizen so concerned about crime? Sure, no problem. I mean, I really didn't have any political aspirations ever in my life. You know, you always make those jokes, oh, if I was mayor, if I was this, you talk about that at your dinner table or whatever. But what happened was they came up with this initiative in Seattle where it was called the Green Space Camping Initiative. And what they were gonna do is they were gonna let homeless people camp wherever they wanted in the city, as long as it was a green space. Now, number one, let's just talk about who's proposing this. It's all the green activists. So all the people who want, you know, less global warming, all that are talking about destroying green property with having people camp on them because you know what happens when an encampment goes there. The Seattle housing crisis is just out of control. But my neighborhood is called Seward Park because we're around this giant, giant park. And 
being Jewish, being an Orthodox Jew, we have to walk everywhere on Sabbath and festivals. So that means we would have been dealing with these people. We don't have access to our cell phones at the time. And the Seattle navigation team, which are the ones that used to interact with all the homeless people, estimated that 80% of these people have a mental illness or drug problem. So this isn't me saying, oh, all homeless people are dangerous. It's the people who interact with them saying they have mental illness and drug problems and they can do anything. We've had tons of crime because of it. So I got involved because of that, trying to stop that. And we were successful in stopping that. And then things just got worse. They decided they want to tax Amazon. They decided they want to tax jobs. They want to do all this. So I decided to run for city council. And in doing so, I had a lot of countrywide support, but not that much support in my actual district. So I got crushed. But through the election, I was able to demonstrate how bad things had gotten in Seattle. And it started this whole narrative and this whole discussion across the city, across the country about how thing, bad things had gotten in Seattle. And just because, you know, I get bored and need extracurricular activities, I started writing for the Post Millennial from time to time, a little op-ed columns here and there. And then the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone happened. And one thing after another, and the insanity just kept going and going, and it never stopped and still hasn't stopped. Whereas now they're talking about the riots at the Capitol, and they're completely ignoring everything that happened all summer, where constant riots, 100 plus nights of riots in Portland, attacking a federal courthouse, a Seattle city council member Democrat, she's supported by the Democrats, but she's actually a Marxist, letting the people who occupied the autonomous zone into Seattle City Hall after hours with her own key to occupy the building. Literally did that. But no, nobody wants to talk about any of that stuff. Nobody wants to talk about an autonomous zone in the middle of a residential and business neighborhood in Seattle. Nobody wants to talk about that. So what I do is I call this stuff out all the time. And a lot of times my friends call me and they say, are things really that bad in Seattle? And I go, look, every neighborhood, every city, you know where not to go. And there's the bad areas. The difference is they're turning the good areas into the bad areas. That's the difference with what's happening in Seattle. So I keep bringing it up and showing everybody what's happening. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the, the CHAZ or the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And that event, you know, among the many, many terrible events of 2020, that whole event just made our jaws drop. Everyone who's not in Seattle or even people who are in Seattle, it is so absurd and so extreme and so terrible and chaotic. That's not to say what happened in the Capitol isn't chaotic and terrible, but it's not entirely new when you look at the behavior of, you know, these people who are, whether they're activists, I mean, it sounds like they're green activists, but what really confuses me is you mentioned you ran in this district and I assume this is a very progressive district. Um, it, it confuses me why, you know, crime is affecting people in these areas, but seemingly these council members, and I think I know who you're referring to, um, the, the Marxist, they keep getting in over and over again. And you wonder, well, how is this happening when the, these cities are eroding over time? Uh, and I, I can't help but feel like all these people who enabled the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone or the riots in Portland or what we're dealing with in Vancouver with like the soaring crime, how do they get in again? I, I mean, do they? Do you think that the chickens are going to come home to roost for some of these council members that have some kind of utopianism that they have to prove? I wish I could say one day, yes, because even New York in the 1970s and 80s, when it was a complete wasteland, when I lived there in the 80s, eventually they voted for Giuliani and Giuliani cleaned up the city. Whatever people want to say about him now, he was a phenomenal mayor. Seattle is a different thing. It's that 
New York, you can't help but see what's going on. In Seattle, we actually moved my office. My family's, my wife's family's business has been there for 110 years in this one neighborhood. The things have just gotten so bad, we left. And I moved to this other neighborhood, which is actually in the district of the crazy council member. And that's just a temporary place till we figure out what we're doing long term. But you don't notice all the problems of Seattle in that district. You don't notice it in that area. How the people in the autonomous zone didn't notice it because they're in her district too. I don't know. But you can get away with not seeing this kind of stuff ever and just assume everything's fine. They're doing a great job, but also they're really good at getting out the vote in terms of ballot harvesting. Now, I know this has taken on a term where people go, oh, the election was stolen, this, that. Ballot harvesting is not illegal in Washington. And what that really means is since everything's vote by mail, people could show up at the doors of people who have no idea what they're voting for, anything. They can just write their signature on it and hand it over. And we know this is happening. You're talking about thousands of ballots just being done that way where they don't even know who they voted for. And sometimes people are voting for, wait, I didn't know I was voting for that person. It happens all the time and it's legal. So it may be unethical, but it's legal. They can go to the homeless camps and do the exact same thing. And people can register to vote super easily in Seattle. You can register the same day as an election in Seattle. And that's how these people keep getting elected. I mean, the autonomous zone was so bad that my uncle, he lives in B'nai Barak in Israel. It's a very, very religious place in Israel. He doesn't have internet. He has a dumb phone. He is a very religious guy. You saw him, you wouldn't think we were related. And he called me because he read about the thing in his Yiddish newspaper. Nobody speaks Yiddish anymore, but they were talking about the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. That's how bad this was. And the people in Seattle keep voting for it. And the normal common sense people are moving out. They're moving out. I mean, one of the local radio talk shows just announced that he's moving to Texas because why would they want to stay here anymore with everything that's happening? The exodus seems to be a large component of this, not only in Washington and Seattle, but we're seeing this happen in California. We're seeing it happen here in Vancouver, where you raise a really good point. You know, when I brought up the point of, well, why don't we just vote differently and so on and so forth? Well, it seems the people who are reasonable are just leaving. They have no incentive to stay. And it's similar here in Vancouver, where a lot of people in the downtown area, um, we have an area called Yale Town, are basically listing their condos and saying, see ya, um, because it's just gotten too bad and defunding the police makes it worse. And I imagine it's the same there. I mean, you mentioned your uncle. I can tell you with the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, I had some relatives who have been completely apathetic politically their entire lives that became enraged by that event. I think that event really woke people up to the absurdity, which was also the dissonance between the mayor who was saying it's one big love fest and the actual reality of the footage. I mean, you were on the ground. It is so extreme. And then, of course, you know, you had the event where um, this teenager was killed and, and he had, I believe, special needs. I mean, it's just a horrible, you know, tragedy. It's like some ancient Greek tragedy when you look at what happens when these people actually get the utopia they ask for. They immediately become authoritarian and murderous. So it, it's so poetic. But at the same time, you have to wonder, well, what happens to this city? I mean, I assume... You know, you identify as someone from Seattle. You love the city. You know, it's, it's similar for me here in Vancouver. Do you feel as though, although you love the city, I don't know if you do, but if you do love the city, do you feel like you have to let it go and you have to leave? I mean, nobody can say I didn't do everything I possibly could to try and fix this place. I really did. I put everything out there. I mean, my family got anti-Semitic death threats. We were put on 8chan 
um, by socialists pretending to be Nazis just because they didn't want me winning an election. I mean, that's just sick and twisted. You had to have armed security wherever I went during the election cycle. That's how bad it was because I was Jewish. That's what they use. They use the Jewish thing. Has Seattle gotten that bad? It's it's getting there. And at one point, you're just going to go, hey, you know, I can keep bringing awareness to this, but if the average person doesn't care, then they deserve what they get. And that's unfortunate that I'm saying that because I love the city. I put a lot of time and effort. I used to be the guy going to New York to recruit other Jews to move out to Seattle, and I can't in good conscience do that anymore. That's how bad things have gotten. So at this point, I've pretty much said, hey, the city's going to do what the city's going to do. I'm going to keep bringing awareness to it. But it doesn't seem like there's anything I can do to stop it aside from reporting it and hope people eventually wake up. But you look at Seattle, they have engineered the city in such a way that they now have more renters than homeowners. And as such, renters will constantly vote to up their taxes because they think they're punishing their landlord. And then they wonder why their rent is going so high, not realizing that these taxes get rolled over onto them. And eventually these landlords that are getting taxed are just going to sell the buildings or go out of business. And then the bank's going to have the building and then kick them out when they repo the place or it, they don't understand this at all. They're not paying attention to this at all. And my favorite are the people who go, oh, I understand. I get all of it, but I'll never vote for a Republican. I mean, really? It's, you know, I've, uh, Geraldine Ferraro, first woman to run for vice president of the United States was at my bar mitzvah. Um, you know, my family has different political ideologies and things of that nature. You don't vote for somebody just because it doesn't matter what party they're in. Do you like their ideas? Can you get on board with what they do? And actually, the most interesting thing about my campaign was the cross, um, the cross appeal that I had. Unfortunately, there's just so many people that aren't Democrats. They're not Republicans. They're not liberals. They're leftists. There's so many of them here in Seattle. That is what has really destroyed the city. And they keep voting for the same stuff again and again, and I really want to ask them, and they have no answer when you actually do get to ask them, is this your utopia? It's like, well, we have to get rid of all the Republican policies and then we'll be there. I'm like, you haven't had a Republican in power here in decades. What are you talking about? So I don't know what they're shooting for. I really don't understand what their end game is because this is worse than so. You're already seeing the, the aspects of socialism and communism and stuff here. It's, it's just going right down the tubes. They took a beautiful city. The thing you see behind me right now, yeah, it looks like that from a distance. You get up close, it's not what it is. Tourists don't want to go to downtown Seattle anymore. Disney abandoned having cruises going out of Seattle because of how bad downtown Seattle got. You know, I, I chuckle because I feel like everything you're saying, if you replaced Seattle with Vancouver, it would still match completely. Beautiful from a distance. You know, you have some some semblance of, of love for it. But in the same day that a council votes to defund our police, they also raise property taxes by 5%, making, you know, Vancouver, which is already known as one of the most unaffordable cities in the world, and everyone complains about rent because everyone's a renter, they think let's punish landlords and then they just don't put two and two together. So it's really fascinating to me, again, speaking to you as an American where we're in different countries, but evidently there is something very similar happening in the Pacific Northwest and maybe even the Pacific overall when you look at San Francisco and, and Portland. You know, you mentioned people moving away. I have a friend in Texas who, who is actually afraid of people moving there because he's afraid that all the policies you guys voted for that made your cities terrible, you're just gonna move here and vote the same way again and make our little towns into cities and make them terrible. So it's a fascinating migration that is happening. Um, but you know, I, I wanted to touch on something you said, which was the hate that you've gotten, which is horrifying. Um, in the news in Vancouver today, there's an individual who 
essentially broke down and said, I get yelled at on the street with anti-Semitic remarks. And this individual also happens to be uh, part of the LGBT community. And it's shocking to see how among these crazy physical acts and violence, there's also a huge increase in hate crimes. At least in Vancouver, it's gone up by 800%, which is insane. And I imagine it's the same elsewhere where on top of the violence, there is more anti-Semitism, there's more homophobia, there's a lot of anti-Asian um, you know, rhetoric, which could be uh, related to COVID. So you would think that if these people, these leftists, don't care about physical safety, you'd think they would at least care about, you know, equality and not having these terrible racist things being thrown out there. It's really, really hypocritical, don't you think? A hundred percent, but they don't understand that they're walking hypocrites. The, the, everything about woke ideology is hypocrisy, meaning, so I'm Jewish. Jews are one-tenth of one percent of the world's population. Orthodox observant Jews are the 10% maybe of that number. So we are the minority of the minority of the minority of the minority. We are not even a statistical anomaly. We are the ultimate minority, but I'm considered a white guy. Now at Harvard, right in Seattle, Asians are considered white people. So because their woke ideology is who's been the most oppressed. You want to talk about oppressed? I would have a lot more relatives if not for Germany. Let's discuss that for a second. You know, Schwarzenegger today compares what happened at Capitol Hill to Kristallnacht. I mean, how he could say that, and he's Austrian, is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, was it horrible? It was really, really horrible. I think everybody condemned it. But that's something else that's interesting, is that everybody condemned this thing. Republicans, Democrats, everybody condemned what happened at the Capitol. 100% across the board, they condemned this thing. And then all of a sudden it has to be like, well, you're evil because you voted for this guy or you're evil because you're a Republican. No, you should have said, this is the time to say we're not putting up with this riot garbage anymore. But that's not what they do. It's like with George Floyd. When George Floyd was killed slash died, whatever the toxicology report shows, when that happened, everybody said, that is awful. This cannot stand. And then when they go start rioting and doing everything they're doing, you're like, how can you be on board with this? But now that's what's happening. They are totally getting rid of all the riots that happened this summer, getting rid of all that because they're saying that doesn't count anymore because you it was right because you're all racists. What does that have to do with anything? It has nothing to do with it whatsoever. And then to go on a website like HN, which is filled with neo-Nazis and say, we're going to pretend to be Nazis so we could take down a political candidate we don't agree with. That's horrifying. And that actually just reminds me of something called horseshoe theory. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term, but yeah. a lot of people are will say for your audience, if you imagine a horseshoe, right, the two tops are actually closer. The two ends are closer to each other than they are to the center, which means the far left and the far right have a lot more in common than the middle, which is why everybody goes, oh, Antifa must have been behind the thing at the Capitol. No. It wasn't Antifa. Were there some Antifa and BLM people there? Sure, but they weren't the main instigators because the far right and the far left have far more in common with each other than they do with the center. And this woke ideology only perpetuates that because they're enabling it by saying, oh, you're black, you want to go right? Go ahead, because you're oppressed. You're Hispanic, you want to go right? Okay, because you're oppressed. You're white, but you feel like you're in this category or that category? Go right, that's fine. And that's unfortunate because that's what's going to keep happening. There's Jews. Oh, they feel like they're oppressed or they're representing the oppressed and they're going to riot. It's sickening to me. Absolutely sickening to me because this woke ideology gives you excuses for whatever you want to do. There's no personal responsibility. 
And ideology and history, as you know, has given excuses to mobs to do horrific things. Uh, dating as far back as Socrates, you know, when you look at what happened at the Capitol, you're right. A lot of these pundits said, well, now what? Mr. Anti-Riot guy who you've been complaining about these riots. Well, now it's, it's you know, your people. It's like, yeah, well, they're bad. Those people are bad. Anyone who riots and destroys society is bad, regardless of their color or creed. And you just got to call a spade a spade. Uh, it, it's really horrible to witness. But I think at the same time, we've been somewhat desensitized to all of this. When you have a summer of riots and looting, over time, you know, I wonder what that does to the psyche of a nation where it just becomes part and parcel. Uh, but it is crazy to see what you're accused of. I mean, 8chan, for those uh, listening who don't know, is essentially a dark web internet site um, that is filled with horrific racism. I think you can even hire people to kill people on there. You can buy weapons. It's like the darkest place on the internet, pretty much. So the fact that you were on there is, is really, really horrible, and I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, but these labels are really terrible. You know, a, a term that I learned recently, and, and no doubt you're familiar with, is nimbyism. Have you heard of that term? Are you kidding? I think I'm the uh, grand champion of that, according <laughs> to Seattle leftists. I am the mayor of Nimbytown. I, I, you know, I, I was saying something radical online um, because I spent too much time online, I said something crazy, like, uh, crazy and radical, like, you know, crime is a bad thing and, and maybe we shouldn't get rid of police. And someone said NIMBY. And I, I didn't know what that was. And then I looked it up, of course, for those listening, NIMBY means not in my backyard, which I guess is sort of a, a bourgeoisie sort of t title of someone who wants to live in a gated community isolated from the problems of the community is that like a an accurate description of it take it to the next level the people who always accuse me of being a nimby not in my backyard i would always say to them so how many homeless people have you taken into your house because when i was growing up actually i get back to grand central for a second my father used to always take challahs from the sabbath he would take them into the city with him the leftovers and give them to the guy sleeping in grand central station and one day one of the guys rolled over and it was a guy he went to school with my dad brought him home so you're literally talking to a guy who my father brought a homeless guy home to live with us. I mean, my mom had a whole different opinion on that whole thing, but this guy came home to live with us. We actually did that. How many of these intersectional woke brigade members have ever done that? I mean, in Seattle, when we recently had Chaz two for three or four days, when that happened, they occupied a house and said, we're here to support the homeless people. No, they didn't bring any of the homeless people inside. It was to protect their Antifa weapons cache that they were keeping there in the park. They didn't want the park raided because all summer since the autonomous zone, they had been keeping weapons there. This not in my backyard business, you just challenge them right back and go, how many homeless people have you had in your house? How many drug addicts have you had in your house? You want one of these injection sites that are so popular in Vancouver for God knows what reason. You want one of those things next door to your house? Tell you what, I'm sure the rent there is real cheap. Why don't you give your house to one of these homeless guys, move in next door to the injection site and tell me. And until you actually do that, you're just a hypocrite. Yeah, and, and you know, the injection sites, for example, um, and for those listening, what Ari is describing is essentially a, a facility where drug addicts could go to get clean needles. So it's free clean needles, and, and it's created as a means to prevent transmission of disease. Um, of course, the problem that arises is not only a moral conundrum, 
but you create an ecology. So in Vancouver, we, we just opened a new uh, safe injection site in a quite upper class area of downtown, a relatively safe area, at least prior to opening it. And of course, what happens when you open it is the drug dealers who actually sell the drugs used for those clean needles hang out around the safe injection site. Because why wouldn't they? Why would they hang out in, in the sort of you know, sketchier parts of town when that's where all their customers are going to be. Uh, and that, of course, leads to crime. That, of course, leads to, to addicts who, you know, need to find money somehow. Uh, it, it doesn't take a genius to figure out how this becomes a problem. But I think what needs to be said, and this is a given, I think, between me and you, but we should say it just in case Press Progress is listening. Um, people deserve help. People who are struggling with addiction, people are struggling with mental illness, which is really huge here in Vancouver. There are tons of people with serious, serious mental issues that are homeless. We're completely sympathetic and and people deserve help. The question is, how do you get people that help? Because clearly safe injection sites aren't doing it. Is it housing? Is it funding programs that are actually effective? It's certainly not the CHAZ. We know that. We know everything they're doing is not helping. So what, in your opinion, needs to be done to actually help people? So the majority of drug addicts I have spoken to, recovering drug addicts I have spoken to, they said there was one event in their life that they hit rock bottom and decide that was the time to change. Now, as we know from the Alberta study on the injection sites in Alberta, that they're not actually being offered treatment at these injection sites. When I went to Vancouver and snuck into the injection sites, telling them I was actually from Seattle to open injection sites, I can't believe they just fell for that. Um, and they told me everything, they don't offer treatment in any of these places. You have to be offering treatment constantly or what you're doing is just a never ending cycle. And a lot of people said that the way it finally happened is they got fired or they ended up in jail, or something horrible, horrible happened to them. And unfortunately, without that shock to the system, a lot of people just can't get through their haze in order to do it. And that's part of the big problem. Now, I've proposed tons of different ideas for this, is that why are we funding injection sites when we could be funding treatment sites? Now, granted, a person has to be going into them for longer, but why do you want to put the money to perpetuating the problem as opposed to funding solutions? And these private ones that are run by religious organizations that are run by private foundations, they are so much more successful. I actually hired people for my company for something called the Millionaires Club, which gets these people jobs, gets them back on their feet. I worked with Mary's Place. It's a battered women's shelter and a lot of homeless people end up there. And I've spoken with these people and they all are begging for treatment options. And instead, they're funding the problem. They're perpetually funding the problem. I mean, when I went to Oppenheimer Park in Vancouver, and they say that these, you know, safe injection sites, it's for needles. So they're not using each other's needles, not swapping them, no HIV. The needle drop box in that park had been welded at least 100 times shut. It looked like it. The thing had been broken into so many times. It doesn't matter where they get the needles from because an addict isn't thinking rationally. These people are trying to say, oh, let's apply rational thinking to people who are not mentally balanced from either drugs or mental illness. You cannot apply logic to that. And you have to get them the treatment options they need. And this housing first thing doesn't work either because what happens is with this housing first model that's gaining popularity in the US, you just say, okay, we're going to take the problem and put it in an apartment. Well, that doesn't help either, because if you go to the DESC, the Department of Emergency Services in downtown Seattle, the building is trashed. It's destroyed because all you did was move the problem inside and the area around it is filled with crime. Unless you actually solve the problem, you're just bailing water out of a sinking ship without plugging the hole. That to me is also the ultimate form of nimbyism in a way, 
where it's out of sight, out of mind. This is a big thing in Vancouver where they're buying hotels to put the homeless in. And I'm thinking, well, essentially, you're just trying to put them, you know, inside where they're still going to do the same thing. That's not to say they don't deserve to be warm and everything, but we're doing everything wrong. Uh, And it seems like such a solvable problem. I mean, the needle thing is understandable. You don't want HIV being swapped. But at the same time, they just opened a safe injection site next to a playground. So you you have these issues where these mothers and these families are finding needles everywhere. And what do you do about that? I mean, clearly just getting them housing doesn't work. But when you watch Seattle is Dying, which the documentary that you're in, and even the updated one, which I believe is called The Soul, Fighting for the Soul of Seattle, um, two amazing documentaries, I think, some of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Uh, there needs to be some kind of treatment. There needs to be something. Because when you're describing what these people are going through, you're not saying these are bad people when you're saying they don't know any better. It's like they don't know any better because they don't need a handout. They need a hand up. They need actual hands-on help because they can't figure it out for their own. So... And the same goes for people who have the mental illness issues. People who are schizophrenic. I mean, these are serious issues. So you think like, man, these are so solvable. But it's just not happening with these city councils. So I guess to to end it, you look at these Pacific cities. You look at, let's say, Seattle and Vancouver. They're eroding. 2020 was a tough year. The economy is probably going to get worse. Where does it go from here? Where do you see the next five years? The real question is, what is rock bottom for these cities? What is the point where they go, okay, this isn't sustainable? Do they go bankrupt like Detroit? Do enough people leave that they don't have enough tax revenue? Where does it get to the point where they say, this is enough? I mean, God forbid, God forbid, God forbid, I say this a thousand times. Does it take an elected official getting killed by one of these guys? Because that's what's happening in Seattle. What is the thing that finally, not that that has happened, what I'm saying is that these people are attacking people on the streets of Seattle, it's only a matter of time. And they're releasing these prolific offenders again and again and again to just keep reoffending. So what is it really gonna take until people wake up in a city and go, we can't do this anymore. And when are they gonna realize these things just don't work? Now, the problem is, as I say all the time, follow the money. You wanna know what's the motive behind all this? Where's the money going? And if you do it in Seattle, you'll see it's going to a bunch of people who are getting very, very wealthy off the unfortunate. And we follow the money a bunch of times. I've written exposés on this. I've done countless exposés on this because I just keep public disclosing, requesting all this information. And I can't believe that people still haven't opened their eyes to this is the massive corruption. And this is, gets back to this is the p- problem with one party rule system. We don't have anybody challenging it. One party can get away with whatever they want. And that's exactly what's happening. So what do the next five years look like for Seattle? Not good. Really not good. COVID made it worse, but really not good. I don't see an upside to any of this. And I question how many people with common sense are still going to be in these cities afterwards. I mean, I've been to Vancouver and Vancouver looks a lot emptier than it used to. And I know a lot of that's from people buying from from international people buying apartments and stuff there and using them for whatever reason. But it looks a lot emptier than I realize. And I know a lot of people who have sold their house for a lot of money and move to other cities. And I know it's happening here in Seattle too. It's pretty attractive. I mean, I know how much I could sell my house for and I know what I bought it for and I know what I could buy elsewhere. And really we haven't left because my wife's family's here, but there will come a point where people go just enough is enough. We're out of here. Hmm.
Well, Ari, you're doing amazing work. I know I'm obviously grossly biased because we work together, but, uh, but where could people catch more of your content? I know you write for us, you're an editor. Where could people find out a little bit more about you? Sure, best way to find me is you got my Facebook page, my Instagram pages, which is Ari Hoffman Official. On Twitter, it's The Father. You can find me at arihoffman.org, which I have to update because it looks like it was made in the 90s. And you also have my podcast, Canary in a Coal Mine, which is available on YouTube. And we are migrating to Rumble, slowly but surely, piece by piece, because I don't know how much longer it'll be on YouTube because I got hit with a thing just the other day. So you can find me for the time being on those social media platforms. I am on Parler, but who knows how much longer Parler is going to exist. But there will always be the website, so people can always get a hold of my content. All right, Ari, right, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Ari Hoffman. You can find his work at everywhere he just listed. Plus, he's going to be migrating the podcast over to TPM very soon. So you're going to be hearing a lot more from him. Let me know what you thought about our conversation. This has been a topic that I feel hasn't been discussed enough. With everything going on in the world, uh, it's easy for things to get swept under the rug. But as someone living in a large city, it really hits home. Um, Some personal news for the podcast. This past week, we hit number four in Canada for political podcasts. It's really, really amazing. I want to thank everyone for their support. If you're listening to this on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, please follow us, please give us a good review, and please share it with friends. It's really, really amazing to see the feedback and to see how many people are enjoying these conversations. It's, uh, it's really amazing and I want to thank you for it. With that said, if you're on YouTube watching this, please like and subscribe. And until next time, thank you.